Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased you've been able to join us for the program. And one of the things I hope that we can see is that peace has nothing to do with your circumstance. The kind of peace that we're talking about is a peace in the midst of adverse circumstances. Peace, oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? But really, is it possible in this world that spins so fast with so much angst? There are so many things for us to be involved in. Stuff happens to us and those we love. Illness and injury, constant change. Where does peace come in? Tonight, Dr. Corbett begins a series of messages that challenge us to look at the way we live and understand the role of virtue in our lives. Tonight, the first in the series from Dr. Corbett, By Virtue of Peace. Commence a four-part series today, By Virtue, as we'll see in a moment. And one of the things that I'm really hoping is that it will result in us living more confidently and living in a way that the difference between us and those who don't know Christ becomes even more obvious. And so I think we live in a world where there are many people who are very stressed out, very stressed out. In fact, if you are dealing with someone who is particularly snappy and always on thin, you know, like eggshells with them, chances are, to state the obvious, they're a stressed person and something's going on under the surface. We, we live in a, a world now where anxiety levels, people are anxious about all kinds of things, finance and, and even relationships for many people is a, is a source of anxiety and people are stressing out. And there's a saying that um, I was sort of taught when I was starting out as a leader and it was, it was this, don't sweat the small stuff. You've never heard of that, don't sweat the small stuff. I'm seeing people sweat incredibly small stuff at the moment and it just says to me people are not coping with life generally this is a this is a really stressed out generation that we're in and I, by generation I don't mean it's confined to young people I'm seeing it right across so life for many people has become quite turbulent this picture I believe is taken from passage of sea called the Bering Strait and if you know anything about the Bering Strait they've made movies on this stretch of water uh, Perfect Storm. If you've ever seen the... Uh, has anyone seen Perfect Storm? It wasn't a perfect storm for me. I tell you, I was watching this thing, I'm thinking, don't go out! And they did. And, uh, and then, then there's a, a, like a... a, a what's that? A Discovery Channel documentary series on the crab fishermen of the Bering Strait or whatever. They go out hunting crab. They're only allowed out for eight weeks when the waters die down to 36-metre waves. <laughs> And they, they catch crabs. And, um, and, and every season, uh, these crab fishermen, uh, someone dies in this stretch of water. It's a really, really rough stretch of water. And um, when Kim and I were in Melbourne, we had a, a yacht. And uh, we used to go out on Port Phillip Bay, which by comparison is really smooth. And I used to meet sailors who are hardcore. And I did my sailing course at the at the Royal Melbourne Yacht Club and and you know these these old sea dogs they, they talk about sailing green which is when when the waves are so high uh, the tint of the water becomes green and it's like oh you can have it man oh man so I think for many people that's how their life feels like that they're they're being tossed about life is a storm they're they're pressed about by all kinds of anxiety and 
and uh, I want to give you the antidote. And, and I guess I need to preface it by saying that you, you could look at someone like me who only works an hour and a half a week and you could think, well, what would you know? Pressure, you cushy job. Um, uh, sometimes uh, you, you, you come under inordinate pressure and stress from mainly because of you guys, mainly, mainly people. <laughs> and uh, some time ago, I took some time off and was aware that although on the inside, I'm, I'm going to demonstrate, I hope to demonstrate that what I'm talking about today is something I know something a, a little bit about. But while on the inside, I was, I was think I was doing okay, my body on the outside was responding involuntarily, very differently to how I thought I was going. And if you've ever had stress-induced physical conditions, which I know many of you have, uh, I, I had a, 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 some time ago went to the doctor and, and uh, was getting um, some irritation in my face and, and he just took one look at me and said, quick, go to the chemist right now and get this medication because you're having a, a bout of shingles in your face. So unless you really look into my eyes and you really look at my face with that longing sort of look that only my wife should ever look at me with, uh, you won't notice there's a slight droop where I've got a little bit of paralysis or whatever in the face. So there's no big deal. But what that did then is it actually did something also to my spinal cord and that set off a whole lot of things. And as many of you know, I had all kinds of issues as I discovered, you know, some spinal degeneration and all the rest of it. And then that then led to another thing. It sounds like uh, we're going to get the violins out in a minute, doesn't it? But it's not meant. To... All I'm saying is that uh, when it comes to dealing with what we're talking about, I have some, I, I have some currency. I have some knowledge of what I'm talking about. That's really what I want to want to say. All right. So, so the antidote is to live a life of virtue. To live a life of virtue. It, it says in the scriptures that we are not only to believe in Christ, but when you believe in Christ, you are to add to your faith in Christ virtue. And this is what it says. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. And so today I hope to give you that knowledge that will enable you to experience virtue that you can add to your faith. Now hopefully by this stage some of you are going, yeah, that's awesome, I'm in. Just one question. What's virtue? Thank you. What's virtue? Benjamin Franklin said that there were 13 virtues that every man should have. In fact, arguably the word virtue in one sense of the word, means manliness. Virility, virtue, manliness. And he actually kept a, a checklist of how he was doing with his 13 virtues as a man. So really, in the broader sense of the term, virtue means moral excellence, to live a morally excellent life. And I hope to show you that by living a morally excellent life, you are going to avoid many of the things that cause stress, pressure, anxiety and worry. And by, by doing this, not only will that be the result, but you will stand out. You will look different. You will be odd 
you will be unusual. And so when we consider that Second Peter was written by Peter months before he died, and if you know the circumstances of his death, he had gone to Rome as the Apostle Paul would soon arrive in Rome as well. And, and Peter was there and in 64 AD was brought before Caesar Nero and had the death penalty pronounced on him for no crime except for the fact that he would not declare Kaiser Neron. Ho curios. Caesar Nero is Lord. He would not say it. And for that, his confession was, uh, Ho Christos, Ho Curios, Christ is Lord. And for that, he was executed. And he was about to be crucified. And if you know the story, Peter was going to be crucified. And he said, I'm not worthy to die in the same shape as my Lord died. So you know the, if you know the story, he begged them, please don't crucify me in the same way Jesus died. For, because that cross... You think it's a point of shame, but for us it's a point of glory now. And I'm not worthy of that glory. And so they crucified him upside down, which I can't imagine was any more pleasant way to die, by the way. But before he died, and if you skim through Second Peter chapter 1, you will see he knows he's going to die. He says it. He says, I know I'm going to die. That's the clue I picked up, where he said that Jesus told him this that he was about to die and so he it's almost as if you know if you, if you saw the the uh, the 911 a plane flight that was that they had the terrorists had earmarked to fly into the white house and the guys on the plane were beginning to get reports on their phone that the twin towers in new york had been bombed and the pentagon had just the pentagon had just been you know hit sorry not bombed hit by plane they said we're going to die if you, I think they made a movie about this flight, whatever it was, and the, they realised we are going to die. There's no good wishful thinking any way around this. We're going to die. And the, the, the terrorists, I think, had a, a knife or something that he was... And so they, you remember they, 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 they said, if we work together, we can take this terrorist in the cabin down and then we can get into the cockpit and we can take over the plane. It's the only chance we've got. You, you, do you remember the story? And so what did some of them do as they made that plan? They said they did this. Remember, they got on the plane's phone system, which you wouldn't ordinarily use because they're so expensive. But if you're going to die, what does it matter? So they got on the phone to their loved ones. And remember, many of them rang their loved ones who were at work at the time. And they couldn't get through. So what did they do? They left messages on their answering machines. Haunting. And they began to say things like, I just want you to know. And what was the common thing that they said? I love you. And you can't hear that and think, oh, it, 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 it's chilling, isn't it? And I read Second Peter in the same way. Not that he's in a plane, not that he's about to die, but it's the same sort of tension that I have. This guy knows he's about to die. He's going to die at the hands of a despotic emperor. He's going to die in a way that's, that's cruel and his, his, the pressure on him at this point is, will the church survive after I'm gone? And he actually says that in, in chapter 1 of Second Peter. He says, I know that I'm going and after I've gone, I, I want to give you something that you can recall. Like a message on an answering machine. I want you to recall this over and over and over and over again. 
Add to your faith virtue because you are going to need to stand out in a world that's going mad at a pace of knots. And he adds these things, and I'm going to break them down into four things. I'm going to boil all those virtues down into four things, and we're going to deal with the first one in a moment. But you've got to understand the moral conditions of Rome in 65 AD. It was horrible. You, you wouldn't want to be a slave. You wouldn't want to be a woman. And pretty, pretty much around that time, you wouldn't want to be a Christian because all three got the raw end of the deal. And so Peter says... We can still be fruitful and effective and change this world. And you'd have, to, you'd have to forgive the first century readers who are reading this in northern Turkey, Bithynia, where he's writing to. And, and you'd have to forgive them for thinking, Peter, you for real? Just last week they came in and they, they burned down the houses of the Christians. They killed off thousands of people there. And we hear reports of thousands of Christians being massacred there and thousands being massacred there and... The Romans are brutal. What hope have we got? And then he launches into, here's our hope. With Christ, we can live virtuous lives. And the lives that we live will help us to be effective and fruitful. Effective and fruitful. And we read that in, I should look here at the scripture, but Second Peter chapter 1 where, where he, he actually makes this claim. By us living this way, living virtuously, we will be fruitful and effective in our witness. Uh, if you're looking at Second Peter chapter one, you'll see uh, that's in verse eight, and then he actually says, "Living a virtuous life, a life characterized by these virtues, is actually the hallmark of true conversion." I could imagine. For some people, the, the Christian message is one that has some appeal to it because it sounds like become a Christian and after you die you'll go to heaven. Well, that has some appeal to it. But if that's the only appeal that, that has gripped you by the Christian message, I'm just going to as gently as I can, as pastorally and as lovingly as I can say there's more to get. There's more to get. And if, if this thing hasn't completely gripped your life, there's more to get. There is more to get. How do you know if you're really a Christian? As we'll see in a moment, it's because you pursue virtue. You pursue it. You want to pursue it. How do you live a virtuous life? It's only possible if you live with Christ, walk with Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And that first statement, we sort of brush over that. We sometimes I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And we kind of go, well, the truth, yeah. And we, maybe we, yeah, he can give us a new way of living. But he, he gives us the way to live. I'm the way. So if you want to know the way through the storms of life, just hold his hand. Just walk where he's going. Just follow him. <laughs> walk with him. So living a virtuous life is only possible by walking with Christ. And if you walk with Christ, there will be something that deeply attracts you to him and who he is and you will want to develop these virtues in your life. Here's how I'm going to say these virtues listed here and however we might consider them. Uh, I'm going to categorise them in these four ways. The first one is peace. You will be a person of peace. In a world 
that's, that is racked with anxiety and anxiousness and stress and pressure, you walk into that room and you bring a peace with you, I'm telling you, you will stand out. And, and Peter says here that, that by doing that, you're, uh, it says you'll, if you don't do it, you'll be ineffective and unfruitful. But if you do do it, verse 8 of chapter 1, you'll be effective in your sharing of Christ with others and you'll be fruitful. Wow. The second one is love, the virtue of love. And we'll deal with that next week. Then we're going to have, as we've seen, some guests in between where we've got Kurt Anderson and then we've got the children's Christmas play and, and then we're going to wrap up another uh, thing there and then we'll pick it back up and we deal with humility. And then we're going to deal, which will be on Christmas Eve, and then on Christmas Day we're going to do church and we're going to deal with generosity one of the other virtues, which again is just going to make you look odd if you get this. Okay, so today we're going to look at the virtue of peace. If I was to pose a theoretical question to you, when do you need, or when is, is peace most appropriate for you? Well, let me put the question this way. If you were in ease and comfort and had all your needs met and everything in your life was pretty good, would you describe your life as peaceful? Hold that thought. If your life right now was characterised by pressing financial pressures, stress of debt, relationships that have broken down, your own health taking a toll, you're not sleeping well because you just can't, your mind is racing. And you add to that that you keep, you keep worrying, like in a really bad way. And, and I've, I've spoken with people, and I know there are people in this room, and for them, worry has gone beyond worry into what we call panic attacks. Which of these two descriptions might we think is a candidate for being, for being described as a peaceful person? And it's easy to look at the circumstances of the first scenario and go, well, they don't even need it. And then it's easy to look at the second one and go, well, they're so far from it, they'll never get it. And one of the things I hope that we can see is that peace has nothing to do with your circumstances. The kind of peace that we're talking about is a peace in the midst of adverse circumstances. Peace in the midst of adverse circumstances. Here's what it says in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. What a beautiful promise. You keep him in perfect peace. Who? Whose mind is stayed on you. Because, why? He trusts in you. What does perfect peace feel like? Well, let me ask another question. Who would like some? <laughs> Two hands go up. If I, was, if I was on my back, I'd put my feet up as well. I could do with some perfect peace. 
I would love to be that guy that doesn't get ruffled, but I do. I'd love to be the guy that when I'm physically tired that I don't get snappy, but I do. I'd love to be that guy that when something else goes wrong, I'm not the guy that goes, oh, not another thing. I'd love to be that guy. Sometimes I have to ask myself, was that my inside voice or my outside voice? When something else goes wrong, I have to remind Kim that when she occasionally says something like that, ah, 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 we heard that. That wasn't what you thought it was. You thought that was your inside voice, but we actually all heard that. And she has to tell that to me a lot because it's often my outside voice that comes out before I've had a chance to shut the gate. So, you keep him in perfect peace. whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. What a great verse. If you haven't got that underlined, maybe you don't own an underliner. So here, one of the... The, the, the most obvious, I think, the most obvious trait, the most obvious and immediate transformation in the life of, of a new believer in Christ. And when I say believer, I know that for some people that simply means I now think there's a Santa Claus or I now think there's a tooth fairy or I now think there's a God. And I'm not talking about belief like that at all. I'm talking using that term belief in the sense of trust. You are trusting your entire soul to God. That's a believer. It's a beautiful term. So one of the most obvious and immediate transformations in the life of a new believer is they go from turmoil to peace. It is beautiful to watch. Just beautiful. I remember, uh, I think two years ago, we had someone come into this church who, whose life was, by all uh, a scope of the definition, in turmoil. Absolutely in turmoil. And then having come here week after week after week for months, and then one day, she got it. And the transformation was breathtaking. And that's what can happen. Peace. And I guess today, I hope that there are seasoned veteran believers who, at the, end, at the time we're done, go, yeah, I think... I think there is peace available and I kind of haven't taken advantage of that offer from Christ. I think I need to pick it back up. That's, that's my hope. Isaiah goes on in chapter 32 and verse 17 and he says this, the effect of righteousness will be peace. And see, when you become a Christian, you exchange your lack of righteousness for his righteousness, which means right standing with God, guiltless, no occasion, no need to feel shame or guilt. We get that. We're made clean. We're given a brand new start. And it says the effect of that will be, what's the word? Peace. Hallelujah. That's awesome. And the result of righteousness will be quietness, which is a descriptor of peace and trust which is also a descriptor of the kind of peace that Christ is talking about. One of them, to state the obvious, in comparison to that person who has said yes to Jesus, who has said, I'm through running, <laughs> I'm through trying to do this by myself, I now come to you and I surrender and I say, take the steering wheel of my life, I give it to you. Please be in control of my life. Help me to live for you. And the, the peace, 
It just becomes overwhelming. Well, the contrast to that is the person who doesn't. And the Bible describes the person who shakes their fist at God. And sometimes they do it because they, the, the, the fist shaking can sound like this. I'm actually a decent person. I'm actually a really good person. I don't need that religion stuff. I'm actually a really good person. You know what I call that? Arrogance. That's what I call that. And the Bible uses an even stronger word. It uses the word wicked. I'm going to use a really nice soft word just so people don't hate me. It's the word average. And I'm going to appeal to you and plead with you, plead with you, please don't be average. In fact, I, I don't, I, just don't be average. So when I use this word, I'm talking about the person who shakes their fist at God. They may do it very, with a very nice glove on and they may look very polite about it, but it's still arrogant. And the most obvious and common conditions of the average person is their lack of peace. They are so stressed about everything. And it would be a dumb rhetorical question if I said, does anyone here know anyone who's stressed at the moment? <laughs> Jeepers. Man, it's a stressed world. People are stressed out. And the Bible says this to them, and it's not encouraging for these guys. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There's no peace. Huh. It repeats it in Isaiah 57 and verse 21. And yet the Bible says that the ultimate source of true peace is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate source of true peace. You get connected with him, you'll experience peace. Now, I don't know if you've ever encountered someone who is a really peaceful person. A really peaceful person. Just not much ruffles them. FW Borum, on, on, on the FW Borum Facebook page, we've got a post there uh, put up earlier this week from an essay that FW Borum wrote called Shut the Gate. Shut the Gate. And he tells of his church in New Zealand, Moskill, just outside Dunedin, where he had a, a, an old Scotsman. And, and, and to me, Scotsman and stress seem to go together. And this, he said, George was an old Scotsman and nothing seemed to ruffle him. He just was completely relaxed. And it used to irritate the rest of us because we'd worry about everything. And George just never worried. He just seemed to be quiet and confident and he was just always at peace. And so eventually I went up to him, says F.W. Borum, and said, George, how do you do this? And he said to F.W. Borum, years ago, I decided that it was time for me to shut the gate. There are things that have happened in my life and I kept festering on them and stewing on them. Then more things would happen and I'd fester on them and stew them. And then he said, I had to realise I've just got to close that gate and keep it closed and keep moving forward. And sometimes you've got to do that as you walk with Christ. And as you walk with Christ, it's not surprising because Isaiah has previously, earlier in his book said in chapter 9 verse 6, and we, we hear this one every Christmas, don't we? The Christmas cards. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
He's the Prince of Peace. Isaiah tells us something else about how the new covenant and the coming of Christ would bring peace to our lives. He says uh, that essentially that when the Messiah would come, he would pay the price, in, in, he would be chastised in our place. And by him bearing our sin, our guilt and our shame on the cross, we would be given true peace. It says in Isaiah 53 and verse 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Peace. And with his wounds we are healed. I think you hang out with Jesus, you're going to be hanging out with the most peaceful person in the universe. This is what I'm saying. F.W. Borum had George in his church and he learned a lot from George just because George experienced and enjoyed and celebrated the peace of Christ. So how do we do this? What does true peace look like? It's not dependent on your circumstances because many of us pray, Oh God, if you could just help my wife to stop her nagging, I could be a person of peace. That's all we have time for tonight, but you can order the full-length version of this presentation on CD, audio or premium download by going to findingtruthmatters.org and selecting By Virtue of Peace from our online store. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.